Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by Beer 52, the world's largest beer club. Every month, its 170,000-plus members get a case of beer delivered to their door, each time with a different theme. Can you imagine the fun that I would have with 170,000 people in a spreadsheet and all the different beers that they've received? I I would be in spreadsheet heaven. And I I understand that that past themes include Belgium, California, North and South Korea, and they're adding new themes all the time. Um, And you can also choose to have just light beers in your box if you're not into the darker stuff. And each delivery comes with a magazine, magazine and a snack. Oh, I'd love a Maganine with my beer. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to see what they've got to offer, go to beer52.com forward slash POF or use the code POF at beer52.com to get a free case of eight unique craft beers. All you have to do is cover the postage costs of £5.95. After your first free case, the cost per month is just £24 and you can pause or cancel your monthly order at any time. Trust me, you won't want to do that. Yes, gang, all you've got to do is go to beer52.com forward slash POF or use the code POF at beer52.com to claim your case of eight unique craft beers from our good chums at Beer52 now. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Reading University's for half a term, Kevin Day, and him, Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Uh, I mention that, Kieran, because I'm worried that people may think I'm an intellectual hobbit if I don't occasionally put my own credentials in there compared to you. Um, Later, we'll be hearing from MP and Spurs fan Tracy Crouch about her fan-led review into football governance. Kieran gets mentioned a lot. Tracy and Kieran sitting in a tree. Um, <laughs> doesn't bother me at all, Kieran, that I wasn't asked to take part in the family review. Not, not, not a problem that you were asked and I wasn't. It hasn't even occurred to me that it was even happening. <laughs> <laughs> before that, some news stories to get into. But before that, Kieran, how was your, your walking football? I was in, impressed to hear that you were you're off to play walking football. Please tell me that you drove to walking football. I, I cycled, Kevin. I, I oh, tried you- to be as green as I can. You know, I've... I've uh, uh, I've actually spent the, the afternoon before the walking football uh, at, at the theatre of Quinoa itself uh, recording some uh, TikTok style videos for, for another show. So it's, uh, it, it's been a busy day. Uh, you'll be pleased to hear, Kieran. As you know, my dad's not been very well and he had to have a massive iron infusion yesterday, which has really, really helped him. Thank you, NHS. Uh, in particular, Sarah and Mitzi, his nurses, who he now knows all about after an hour. 
Um, <laughs> but they recommended quinoa. They said quinoa is one of the best foods for getting iron into him. So I, I made him some quinoa uh, last night and he took one spoonful and said, don't like it. <laughs> that was it. So I was really quite proud of his <laughs> incipient dislike of Kimo. But yeah, walking football, I'm impressed, Kieran. Is, is, do you have walking referees as well? Yes, you do. Yeah, you, oh, you, and, uh, you know, having watched Brighton play tippy-tappy football between our back four and not move for the past three years, I, I feel I'm, I'm in a strong position to uh, play well at it. Um, what position do you play, Kieran? Uh, I'll, I'll, play, I'll play left side of the defence. Oh, the defence. Oh, I thought you'd be in midfield. You know, it's, they all say the first yard is in, in, in the head, even in walking football, don't they? <laughs> um, now, this is an interesting news story, Kieran, and it, uh, fans of other clubs will relate to it. Uh, Southampton are going to give every fan who went to Sunday's game against Manchester United a full refund. Yes, this is on the back of problems uh, in terms of uh, when the match started. There were many fans locked out and it all boils down to the use of technology, which is replacing our standard season cards at many Mm. clubs. And that's fine, provided it works. Now, the football clubs uh, are very keen to get the government on board and say, you know, we are observing uh, appropriate protocols in respect of COVID. So therefore, you know, they're, they're, they're asking for you know, evidence of vaccinations. They're looking for evidence of uh, a negative uh, COVID test result and so on, which means that there's an, there's an extra layer of uh, scrutiny that is required. Um, but it, it, didn't work very well at Southampton. Um, mm. I've seen the uh, photographs from other grounds as well. I, I think there were issues at Anfield, and uh, you know whether whether this is something that you know we we as fans need to acclimatize ourselves to, or whether it is just teething problems. But if it is the latter, uh, you know, the clubs have had a fair amount of time to. Uh, get get around the the use of the new technology. Um, I've noticed that the Everton have ne- are now saying that I think that if, if you if you pay a fiver, you can have a a card instead of a one of these uh, one of these uh, e based or i based systems um, for those people that either you know, don't feel comfortable or or you know ob- object on a form of principle to to more technology. So, um, yeah, shambolic um, in places. Um, and, and that's not a good way to welcome fans back to, to the start of the season because the Southampton-Manchester United match was a very good game of football, especially in the first half. Yeah, so even people that were in the ground in good time are going to get a full refund for their ticket. Um, it that would appear to be the case. Now, how, yeah. how that would work is... is uh, it is curious because you would have thought that given they've got the technology, they should have been able to identify who was in the ground before it kicked off. Mm. Um, I think uh, away fans have had problems as well uh, with regards to ticketing. Uh, so, you know, how things are going to go forward this season if you are an away fan, uh, you know, are you expected to load another football club system onto your phone or is the intention for it to operate smoothly via Apple Wallet or Google Wallet? Uh, we're not sure. Um, yeah, and, and what happens if you if, if you wake up the morning of the match and, and you are ill? You know, under normal circumstances, you could just say to your mate, "Here's take my card." It, it can can that work? Can that not work? Mm. Um, there, there's uh, there's a lot of unanswered questions. 
Yeah, there were there were teething problems. I think is the word at Sellers Park on on Saturdays, particularly at one end. Although the club announced that everybody was in the ground by five past three, which I think is probably true. Although that's not much consolation if you were queuing up at half past one. Um, but what intrigues me is that several clubs seem to have gone to this e-ticket system very, very quickly, much quicker than they announced originally, because even even three weeks ago when I was asking about my season ticket, they said, no, don't worry, the new one's in the post. And it was very much, it will be you know, the same season ticket card system as before. And I only needed the new one because I'd managed to put my old one through the washing machine. Everybody else was using their old one. Right. Uh, and yet suddenly, 10 days before the season started, they went, no, we're not using season ticket cards. We're, we're issuing e-tickets. And also they're doing it on a match by match basis. They haven't issued uh, season tickets electronically. They, they issued uh, you know season ticket holders with tickets for, the Brentford game, they're going to issue them with separate tickets for the Tottenham game. And I'm assuming that's a kind of defence against any possible shutdown of football again that might help in terms of issue. Otherwise, I can't understand why they can't issue season tickets as normal. It certainly happened very quickly. And then, you know, in that one end in particular, there were, there were huge problems. Not as big a problem, I have to say, as the 23,000 plastic non-biodegradable flags that were put on the seats. Which must be damaging the environment quite quite tremendously, I have to say, and also becoming a trip hazard. That yeah, you can't put in in, in the stand where we sit. You can't put five hundred semi drunk blokes in a place with plastic <laughs> flags and not expect trouble to ensue, and then not expect them to trip over. But I'd be I'd be interested to hear from fans of other clubs what they are doing in terms of yeah, you because know, you know. That it, it seems that the reason they're having these issues, these issues, is that they're doing it very quickly. Although I still don't understand, Kieran, why it should be so much more difficult. I printed my ticket off. Why is it so much more difficult to put that barcode through a reader than it is to put our old season ticket holder through a reader? I'm not sure why there's so many teething problems, but we will. What do they do at Brighton, by the way? They've gone completely e approach. Although it was affected, we were practically there anyway uh you know because it's you know a a relatively new stadium it it was sort of future proof to to an extent um and tickets are being given out on an individual match basis um so you know how how things are going to pan out and and it it was it was okay uh on on saturday at at the amex uh okay is not the same as as brilliant you know some people were getting frustrated uh, to be to be fair to the staff the staff were absolutely fantastic very helpful and some people ended up uh, you know having having to get a a, a standard ticket uh, from from the ticket office so um I, I at this stage of the season you know we're in august the weather's warm it's okay if we are now expected to arrive in November and December, an hour and a half before the match kicks off, and it's been switched by the TV authorities to a Friday mm. night or yeah. Sunday at uh, Sunday at midday, um, you know, it, it goes back to to my view is that if, if if I book if I book a restaurant for seven o'clock on a Saturday night and they phone me up and say, oh, sorry, we've, uh, we, we, yeah, we, yeah. we're moving it. Yeah. Um, and we're moving it to Friday night. I say, oh, well, I can't make Friday night. And then they say, well, bye. oh, we're still going to charge you. Yeah. I, 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 I wouldn't be a customer of that restaurant for too long. And, and I do think mm-hmm. that uh, this is an ongoing issue where clubs are uh, taking fans loyalty and love for the club for granted. Cause they know that we will just grit, grin our teeth and, and put up with it.
Yeah, although to be fair, Kieran, it's not difficult to entice Brighton fans to get to a game early. You just have a craft fair in the car park and they'll be there. They'll be there by eleven. That'd be nice. And as soon as a pot well, if it's a craft fair of beer fifty two, uh, using no, the using yeah, you know forward slash pof using the code pof, I, I can understand them getting there early. Well, you you really have got a corporate commercial brain in there, so I'm going to carry it you beneath that socialist facade. Now, players of the video game football manager won't be able to manage Manchester United anymore. Yes, um, a, uh, a satisfactory resolution of a dispute between um, Sega, who are the owners, ultimately, the ultimate owners of, of Football Manager, and uh, Manchester United has been reached. So you will now be able to play Manchester UFC, um, but not Manchester United. Um, and this all boils around the use of the name Manchester United. And it's an intriguing one because uh, does that mean that, uh, you know, do, do we owe royalties to Manchester United yeah. if we mention them in a story? Uh, if if you're a newspaper and, and you're reporting on them, um, I, I can understand uh, defending intellectual property in terms of, of, the, of the club's badge and the crest. Yeah, that That's perfectly understandable um, and you would normally expect to pay some form of licensing fee but uh, the use of the name does seem um, does seem a bit harsh although um, I, I do remember a few years ago when Juventus gave exclusive rights I think it was to Konami for pro evolution soccer mm. that uh, the football manager ended up calling them Zebre um, as as an alternative Um it's it's an awkward one, and you know clearly our silver tongue friends are the only winners in all of this. Mm. Um, it used to be that you were able to change and edit uh, within some of these games, and I, and I don't know whether this is still the case because uh, the Baroness has said that if I do buy Football Manager again, yeah. she's she's divorcing me. I spend enough time uh, on spreadsheet related football nonsense as it is. Um, it, it used to be that you were able to edit the name. So even if they did give, uh, you know, if, if, if they call it, you know, Ma- Manchester or you know, Manchester U, uh, you know, if, if people were allowed to edit, that, that, that allowed them to put in the full names. Uh, so whether that has been part of the settlement as well, I'm, I'm not certain. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Kieran. I lost interest in football games a long time ago. If you, if you can't flick to kick, I'm, <laughs> I'm out, basically. I also, I, I lost interest in Sputio as well when someone, well-meaning bought me floodlights for Christmas. It's like, what's the point of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what and, and, and they used to take the big batteries as well, didn't they? They did take the big batteries as well. It's like, you know, the, the support of the Scout. Somebody there, you could buy a Scout in Subutio. It's like, your house is too big if you've got floodlights and Scouts in your Subutio pitch. Um, <laughs> two stories from, from Scotland, uh, Kieran. One more angsty than the other. Uh, Rangers have won a court case, which means that a Scottish FA arbitration case won't now go ahead. Yes, this is all to do with Rangers' ongoing dispute with the SPFL, and and they've made a few uh, snarky comments. They said that if if those in charge of football in Scotland were more consensual and less confrontational, mm-hmm. then uh, this this dispute could have been resolved uh, earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it and, is antagonistic very much- as well, Kieran. Was no, they, they accused oh, SPFL yes. of being deliberately antagonistic towards Rangers Football Club. Um, yeah, and you know the people in charge of the game have have, have a duty to the game as a whole, um, and I do think that sometimes fans think that they they are being 
picked on, which isn't necessarily the case. Uh, you know, even you know, I'm 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 not the biggest fan of some football authorities, um, but the idea of vendettas, I, I think, takes it uh, mm. a step too far. So um, the the issue is all to do with the uh, sponsorship deal between uh, Scottish Football and uh, and Cinch, the the online car retailer. Now, Rangers, one of Rangers' biggest shareholders, Douglas Park, owns a owns a car dealership. He's got an existing uh, you know, relationship between his company and the club. And he says, and he's backed up by his lawyers, uh, that therefore, uh, as his his contract takes priority because it was already in place and has quoted various elements of the, the Scottish football constitution, so it it will it will proceed at a glacial pace, um, and and it's a shame because yeah, you know, the, I, I, I like Scottish football, and mm. it's it, when when so much of Things appear to be taking place in uh, aggressive tones between parties, and and I'm not I'm not, I'm not singling out Rangers here. You know, I've seen it from from other clubs as well, and and, and you know, I, I thought the refusal of Celtic to uh, applaud Rangers when when they'd won the championship it just comes across as yeah. as, as small minded. It doesn't matter what side of the divide you are. You know, ultimately, a football club won a competition by being the best team on the pitch, and and you should give recognition for that for, as a professional. Um, so uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's a shame because yeah, it, it's it's looking like being an exciting season in Scottish football, and mm. this is an unnecessary distraction. Cinch are a relatively new name on the block, Kieran, but they seem to have a lot of money. They're sponsoring the England cricket team. Do they want to become players or are they taking advantage of a COVID-related market and they can perhaps afford more sponsorship than they would have done a season or two ago? Because they seem to be cropping up in a lot of areas of sponsorship-wise. Well, they're, they're from the same stable as We Buy Any Car. Right. So yeah, we buy our only car on sort of on the, the purchase side of the fence, and uh, Cinch appear to be on the sale side. Um, so so they are they do have some fairly wealthy backers. Right. Uh, the the deal with Scottish football, I think, is for eight million um, over over four years, and and it is the biggest deal. It is the biggest sponsorship deal in, in the SPFL's history. So um, you know that that's a positive. When that's divided between all of the teams, is that a huge amount of money? No, it's not. But it's it's last year they didn't have a sponsor and they were criticised. This year they do have a sponsor and they're criticised. Um, you know, we we are let's be honest, we are friends with Neil Doncaster, and, and you've got to have a lot of sympathy for for him and his team. Uh, you know, whatever they do is wrong in the eyes of some. Yeah, yeah, I do. In the past, whenever we talk about Scottish football, it's a double-edged sword that we know Neil Doncaster because that damns us in some people's eyes and helps us in other people's eyes. It, it does occur to me, much as I like Neil, that somebody should have realised in the negotiations with Cinch that Rangers' biggest sponsor was also a, a company in the same industry, basically, a competitive industry, and that this these negotiations should have been sorted out amicably before the cinch deal was done because it seems to come as a surprise to everybody that Rangers have said, understandably, I think, well, hang on a second, you're asking us to promote a rival to the, to the existing sponsors here. Um, yes, I, I, I can understand that. Although in the past, uh, you know, Scottish football has been sponsored by gambling companies and, you know, 32 Red and, and other 
yeah, and Daffa Bet have have been front of shirt sponsors of uh, of Scottish football clubs, and and that appeared to to go through without any competition, any issue. I, I guess the, the issue here is uh, it's it's a company which is owned by a, a significant shareholder in Rangers Football Club. Mm. Yeah, um, lighter news from Scotland. Um, Hearts are set to become the largest fan owned club in the UK. Yes, uh, they, I think this is this is fantastic news. Mm. Uh, the uh, significant shareholder Anne Budge is uh, is selling her shares to the the Hearts Foundation. Um, I, I think it's great that a, a club in the top tier of football um, can be fan owned. Uh, yeah, they've already got Motherwell as well. Um, so uh, I, I think it gives uh, hope and, and something to. Uh, you know, sort of inspiration for other clubs who, or other other fan groups who who want to progress their clubs. Uh, I think also we've said, you know, this this side of the border, um, it is more of a challenge uh, for for clubs in England to be fan owned because of the huge losses to be to be incurred in the Championship. Although, if uh, you know, if if there is better distribution of money uh, yeah. in 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 English football, then then perhaps those losses uh, that lo- those losses issues can be addressed, and you know, we we could have a, a fan owned club, uh, you know, be able to go through the divisions with without the the sheer terror of of going to a mm. uh, going to the championship and and the potential losses to be incurred there. Are other fans groups buying these shares in the face of competition from other people, or was it always the plan that Ambudge would offer the fans groups the shares first? No, I, I think they firstly they certainly had first dibs. Right. Uh, you know, Ambudge uh, always wanted to uh, effectively hand over the reins, and uh, you know, I, I think it's it's great news for for Hearts as a football club. It is, yeah, and obviously. Um, Again, we've got we've got Tracy Crouch today. We've got Rochdale next week. But um, if somebody from the group that are buying the shares and hearts would like to get in touch, we'd love to talk to you about this because it's a, a good news story that, and we always love to highlight good news stories. Our final story today, Kira, before that interview with Tracy Crouch, which of course deals a lot with the distribution of money in the English football. Uh, UEFA's new FFP rules will allow them to monitor squad spending and wages in real time. Yes, um, FFP is dead. Long live FFP appears to be <laughs> the uh, the mantra coming out from UEFA. So initially, they said, "Well, the aim of uh, the aim of FFP was to reduce debt." And then somebody tapped them on the shoulder and said, uh, "You do realise that that Manchester City and PSG have zero debt because they're funded by the owners." Uh, through through shares, so so that was quickly changed. We've now been through the present iteration of financial fair play, which is backward looking, uh, i.e., it's it's uh, it's linked to the the losses made over the last three years by a club, and they can't exceed thirty million euro, um, and that has proven to be difficult to police. But also, by the time you do get round to uh, charging a club, um, you know, as, uh, as as has been seen, you know, club, clubs have gone on and they won they won trophies. So mm. it, a retrospective approach seems to not work. So the, the the latest proposals are going to be effectively a wages cap, a soft wages cap. So it will be linked to revenues, and if you exceed the wage cap. 
um, then you pay a super tax and it could be between 100 to 200%. So let's say that you've got a, a wage cap, which is 70% of your revenue. For every euro you spend above that, you have to give an extra euro to UEFA who then distribute it uh, amongst the the rest of the clubs. But it, it looks as if UEFA will be demanding access to wages payments um, by clubs. My my first thought was, well, uh, I, I I can I can probably work a way around this, you know. Mm. And it's, it's and I, and I don't like thinking like that. But mm. you know, I'm, if, if I'm thinking like that, yeah, you know, what what would I do? I, I would say, well, I'd, I'll pay the players' wages so that we are within the limit. And uh, if the players want a bit more, I'll, uh, I'll I'll give them some form of personal sponsorship. Uh, mm. From a friendly company, and yeah, that that circumvents the rules. So, so there, there, there are ways around this. Um, the downside of if you're going to say uh, a seventy percent or a sixty-five percent or whatever it's going to be wages to, to revenue um, is that it locks in the existing significant gaps between the very rich and the not so rich. Mm. See, that just indicates the difference between your sinister, wicked heart. Kieran and my gentle <laughs> my gentle innocent spirit because my first thought was this seems like quite a good idea as I was just getting used to the idea that UEFA may have come up with a, a, quite a good scheme and, and immediately as soon as you said that you go no oh well now Kieran recently MP and ex-sports minister Tracy Crouch conducted a fan-led review into all aspects of football governance the full report is due in the autumn but many of her proposals were outlined in an interim letter to culture media and sport minister Oliver Dowden and we we spoke to Tracy about some of the headlines from that letter. Tracy, thank you so much uh, for joining us. I don't know if you're a fan of the hard-hitting panorama-style cut and frost interview, but if you are, uh, this ain't it. I'm afraid. <laughs> uh, on panorama, they don't tend to preface their questions with "you're brilliant," but. Um, <laughs> So could, could you, can I get a couple of admin questions out of the way first, Tracy, before we talk about the, the, the meat of the review or the suggestions you're making off the back of the review? Tell us about the process for choosing the people you wanted to speak to in this review. I mean, obviously, politicians all have Kieran's number on speed dial, but how did you go about deciding who you wanted to talk to? Well, first and foremost, we wanted to talk to as many fans and fan groups as possible. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that we covered off almost every fan group um, across the entire pyramid and beyond. Um, and, of course, you know, fans were able to, to get involved with the survey as well. So, you know, hopefully we managed to uh, speak to everybody who wanted to contribute to the review in that sense. But then, of course, we also needed to talk to various experts within the field of football itself and Kieran was one of those experts that mm -hmm. we spoke to uh, and um, that included those that are involved in running the leagues that uh, or the FA or the National League um, and grassroots uh, and so you know we had a, a very long list of people that mm. we wanted to talk to um, I mean it was pretty insane we had sort of well over a hundred hours of engagement with um, various people various groups um, and on some days you know we sort of kind of get to the end of the day and the panel been on since nine o'clock in the morning on non-stop zooms and you're just like oh my goodness me my head is just going nuts um, and all this is happening with the euros going on in the background so you know it was yeah it was mad. 
Yeah, I, I feel the same way after 40 minutes with Kieran, so I do. <laughs> uh, Tracy, a review was promised in the, the Tory party manifesto at the last general election, so it was always going to happen. Yep. But was, it always, was it always going to happen now, or was it brought forward by the threat of the European Super League? So I think actually there's two there's two different answers to that uh, question. Sorry to be a politician on this, but um, the the review was in the manifesto. I was sort of kind of quite key in getting that manifesto mm. commitment in because of what had happened with Berry and then subsequently you know Wigan and Macclesfield and so on. Um, COVID actually delayed the review. Right. Um, so I, I can't say whether or not it would have definitely happened within the first you know eighteen months, two years of um, the new administration. But I can certainly say the reason why it didn't happen is because of coronavirus and the pandemic. And quite understandably, right, you've got the government dealing with other issues and also football dealing with the COVID crisis yeah. itself. Um, and I think, to be fair to the Secretary of State, Oliver Dowden, he was keen to ensure that football was focused on sort of the issues around um, uh, COVID and, and the work that football was doing in the community, getting fans back in and so on. Um, but then the ESL effectively triggered the review. There was no more being nice anymore. There was no more kind of, you know, look, let football focus on what it needs to be doing to survive. It was like, okay, you you had Project Big Picture in the middle of the COVID uh, crisis. Now you've got the ESL. Now it's time to get on with it. And for our listeners all over the world, just to clarify, Tracy, this is a review of English football alone, wasn't it? It is a review of English football, yeah. Yeah. Before we get into... Although I should say we have actually, as part of the evidence session, you know, we have looked at what's happening elsewhere in the world. And, and particularly, you know, you, you can't help but notice that, you know, there are Italian clubs or in, in financial difficulty mm. and, you know, going bust or, you know, the Spanish clubs or and, and we took evidence from German supporter groups. So, yes, it is about English football, but we have looked at other um, mm. uh, football leagues across the world. Before we get into specifics, Tracy, you spoke, as you say, to people across the game. Was there one theme more than any other that seemed to worry them all or unite them all? Um, yes, there, there, well, there was a few. Um, I guess the first thing is is that how important their football club is to them mm. um, and to their community. And it was, it, I think it was, actually, COVID made it more important to them. The fact that fans have been denied the opportunity to go and, you know, cheer or jeer their local football club um, for, you know, a long time, I think has made it more important to them. Um, and uh, so, so that was certainly a theme that came through. The heritage aspects of their club, you know, what is important to them in their, in their football team? And actually things like the badge and the stadium were way more important than, you know, the star striker. Yeah, you know, that who who like the like the owners come and go, um, whereas some of the, the heritage aspects of their football club really shone through, um, and um, I guess just a desire for it to for you know a Berry. I'm sorry to keep on referring no, to Berry because no. I kind of feel that it's sad for all the Berry fans that are listening, yeah. but you know no one wants a Berry to happen to to their club, um, and I think that. You know, it was really um, that the, you know it was really harsh for, for those um, those fans, and 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 people were really absolutely united in in wanting something to set a safety net for football in the future. 
Yeah, the, the first story we covered when we started this pod was the imminent demise of Berry, and I don't think either of us believed that demise would happen. So it, it's something we almost took personally as well. It was, it was awful to watch it happen. I'm really pleased to hear you say that the the one link was the heritage thing because for me, nicknames, kits, and badges is what I love most about football, to be perfectly honest. You're, you're making your final report in the autumn, Tracy, but you've written to Culture Secretary Oliver Dowden already outlining a series of measures, one of which is an independent regulator, which will address financial issues, corporate governorship, ownership, etc. Would that independent regulator have a range of sanctions and penalties to give them real authority and teeth? Well, absolutely needs to. Um, you can't have a regulator without it. Otherwise, it's just, um, you know, it's a kind of licensing you know, regime. Um, so, yes, is the answer to that. And and these are the details that we're working through now um, before the final report is published um, in the autumn, which is looking like towards the end of October. Um, and, um, you know, exactly what those sanctions are, what enforcement powers are. One of the things I'm really keen on in terms of sanctions is that, you know, I've, I've hated seeing fans being punished in the past, um, because of the bad decisions of owners. For example, you know, huge points deductions, Mm. you know, and you just sit there and think, how is that? How is that fair on the fan who suddenly see their team, you know, either relegated or you know starting in a negative position at the start of the following season because of something that an owner did so I mean it sadly it's it has to be there but you know I'd like to see a more kind of step-by-step process where other very serious sanctions can be put in place on the owners and the directors before you get to the point where you're punishing fans this is um it's one of those interviews Tracy I wish you could see Kieran and I because we're going we're just nodding vigorously at everything you say just going yes that's right this this doesn't always happen in their interviews something that kieran is very keen on uh, or bangs on about according to listeners point of view is (laughs) uh investigating parachute payments what's what's your view on parachute payments tracy i started off the process sort of kind of really quite neutral uh on on parachute payments but i have come to the conclusion from the evidence that received including from kieran um that they um, that they do distort competition um, and that there is a sort of unfairness in them, but also that it, it leads to unsustainable business decisions from others who are trying to compete with those who have received parachute payments. And, mm. you know, and so actually, you know, I, I do think that there is merit in a fundamental review of the system of parachute payments or, or them being scrapped entirely. Now, the problem is if you do that, if you make that decision, you then have to put in place something else. And what is not clear yet is what is that something else? Um, And I think when, when Kieran gave evidence, he talked about smoothing process. Um, And I think that's right. You know, um, I learned about smoothing when I was working for (laughs) Norwich union and learning all about their with profits policies and things like that. Um, You know, which feels like, well, it was 15 years ago and it was sort of Kieran's evidence sort of kind of unlocked this, you know, painful <laughs> day or two that I had learning about pension smoothing. Um, but I do think, you know, it was right. It's, it's the right thing. We need to work out how we can, um, we, we can pr- pr- put something else in place. That means you don't suddenly see clubs who get relegated uh, from the Premier League suddenly, you know, completely go bust. Um 
And I think that's the challenge. That's the challenge there. And and then there are different vested interests within that challenge. Like so, if you start putting, for example, you know, mandatory relegation clauses in um, to contracts, is that something that the PFA start to, you know, go against? If you put wage caps or turnover caps in at leagues for spending, is that something again that the PFA or other vested interests start complaining about? And so it's it's really difficult sort of you know issue yeah. to solve in that I'm contractually obliged to bring Kieran in uh, <laughs> on one at least once on every interview we do and I can <laughs> I can hear him preening himself in the background because of your kind words but Kieran what what you've always said about uh, parachute payments at the risk of repeating us is they shouldn't be needed if there wasn't such a huge gulf between the Premier League and the Championship and then between the Championship and 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 League One, you wouldn't need those payments, would you? If there was, as you say, more of a, it's, it's using the word smooth again, if there was a smoother transition between the divisions. Uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, the, the research that I've done in, indicates that when clubs drop from the Premier League to the Championship, the average pay deduction, and, and this is without mandatory uh, pay cuts, is, is 40%. Um, and parachute payments help smooth us to to get to that 40%. If they were to be abolished altogether, you're, you're then looking at you know, 80 or 90% pay cuts for players. And you know, I, I fully accept that football players are well remunerated in the Premier League. The downside of that is that they still have mortgages. You know, they still have they still have car loans. They still have financial commitments, and to to force through an eighty percent pay cut, and I think that's where that's that's the the severity that we would need uh, does does seem to be quite harsh. Um, so yeah, that's why I've always argued that parachute payments were never intended to create uh, a more equitable championship. They they were there to prevent clubs from going bust, and they've achieved that objective. The, the, the secondary issue is is that they have caused distortion in the championship. Although I think it could be argued that they helped to preserve the uh, in, integrity of the Premier League, because you know you've got players such as Wilfred Zaha who's on a very lucrative contract, and and you're able to go and rebuff uh, offers from other clubs because he's he's not having to take an eighty percent pay cut if uh, you know if the worst happened. Yeah, the way he played on Saturday, I don't think many of those offers are going to be rebuffed if they come in this week. Tracy, I, 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 we would be here for hours if we spoke about everything in the report that I wanted to speak about. So I just want to pick one or two things that uh, really stood out to me. I, I loved your call in particular for a joined-up approach from football to improve player welfare, especially for young players released from the academy system. But would that also include older players when they retire? Because on this pod, we've heard so many stories of bankruptcy, depression, and even suicide. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Look, I mean, I get really cross um, with the PFA. Um, I should say the old PFA, um, yeah. because obviously there's a new regime. So it'd be unfair to be cross with them before they've got their feet under the table. Yeah. <laughs> um, because, you know, it has the potential of being one of the largest and best trade union movements yeah. um, uh, in in industry. And it, it, in my view, it hasn't represented uh, players either young or old, particularly well, despite the fact that everyone contributes to their membership. Um, and I just think that, you know, this is an area that definitely needs reform. It's not necessarily for this review to sort of say that, but um, personally, I've always been mm. incredibly frustrated with um, both ends of the football player's career. Uh, I, I've seen some of the outcomes, uh, really quite devastating outcomes yeah. of those who go into yeah. the academy system, starting incredibly young, um, give up on their friends and, you know, have limited education and then get kicked out because I'm curious mean, to be able to give the precise percentage, but I think it's like less than 2% of players in academies yeah. make it into the Premier League. So they all think, you know, at the age of eight, they're going to be the next Harry Kane. And actually, you know, they're not, they're, you know, Harry Payne working for a glazing company. You know? <laughs> um, and um, uh, so uh, that for me is is devastating that they don't have that support. They're not having the education. They're not having financial um, uh, awareness programs. They're not being told about pensions. They're not sort of kind mm. of getting any of that. And then at the other end, you know, where's the, the representation? It's taken a long time for the issue of dementia to get onto the um, – yeah onto the agenda it's there now but it's taken a while to get there um post career you know it's it, it, in many ways being a professional footballer is like being in any other institution like the army for example and mm. you know the army have proper exit strategies now for those who serve so when they go back into civvy street they are supported um uk sport um uh during my time as sports minister worked with the army to see how they can support elite athletes exiting um, their programs back into communities. Football needs to do the same thing. Again, not everyone's going to be Gary Neville, right? Not everyone is going to finish their career and start, you know, running their own football club. So I just, I think that, it it just needs to be done better, and and I know that a lot of people don't have any sympathy for footballers because, as you say, they have eye watering salaries and everything else. But I do, you know, because they may have those eye watering salaries, but for a very very small percentage of their life. Yeah, and also an eye watering salary doesn't protect you from a broken leg or depression either. As um, no, they're, they're, some you people know, think, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know, pre- uh, depression is it shows no prejudice. It doesn't yeah. matter if you're rich or poor. You know, the fact is is that you know it, it's about circumstance. And if you're suddenly in an institution where you know you're being told what to eat, you're being told when to sleep, you're being told what when to exercise and how to exercise, mm. and all of a sudden you're not doing that anymore. You know, I can completely understand why players feel lost. Yeah. I'm also slightly distracted now by the thought that everyone becomes Gary Neville. 
Imagine, <laughs> imagine millions of Gary Neville's terrible. Now, Tracy, I know I know gambling is an issue that's very important to you. And, and just this week, we saw a report saying that the poorer an area is, the more betting shops there will be in it. Is a levy on the football betting industry to help football itself something you would consider? Well, so there's a parallel to my review, there's a review being undertaken um, by DCMS into gambling. And part of that is looking at the relationship between gambling and football. We were quite struck by how often gambling came up completely unprompted um, by fans um, and the relationship with it. I've tried since, you know, resigning over gambling, I've tried really hard to not make public comment about gambling issues live gambling issues because it's not fair you know there's nothing worse than an ex-minister sort of kind of (laughs) picking away at policy um but um and and especially as this review is 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 underway but you know we did put a a recommendation in the interim report saying that the gambling review team should meet with football fans to discuss the issue of um of the relationship you know we had Again, completely unprompted. You know, people say I won't wear the shirt because it's got a gambling company uh, yeah. on the front of it, and I refuse to be an advert walking around town for that gambling company. And th- I was quite struck by that. Yeah, since we we spoke to a Stoke City fan a couple of weeks ago, who was telling us about you know that they're making shirts available without the sponsor on Bet Three Six Five. And it's they're, they're walking out the shots because most fans would rather wear a playing shirt without a sponsor on it, even if it's a gambling company or not. Oh, um, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because actually, yes. Bet Three Six Five do come in for a lot of, of criticism, a lot of jet. Um, but actually, that is a really responsible thing to do. Mm. Yeah, you, just for those listeners around the world, uh, Tracy, you don't know much about British politics. Perhaps you could remind you, you resigned over the issue of fixed odds betting terminals in in shops, didn't you? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, you said as well, and I'm going to quote you on this because I love this quote, Tracy. You said that and this is the quote: "Football clubs are not ordinary businesses. They play a critical social, civic, and cultural role in their local communities. They need to be protected sometimes from their owners." If I was younger, I'd have that tattooed on my arm. Um, <laughs> there's still I, time. Maybe there is midlife crisis. Maybe yeah, no, I should no, no. use that as an excuse. Tattoos is great. They'll stretch out any bingo wings that you have, and you know it's like. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you, young lady? Um, the, the sometimes from the owners bit is what fascinates me. Is I, I couldn't agree more with what you said. And Basically, that's the price of football mantra, everything you just said there. But how do you sell that argument to the more, shall we say, economically laissez-faire politicians in your party who think that all businesses are the same and should stand or fall simply on profit or loss? Well, the first thing to say is I think that's a traditional view of you know, what my party I think. I said some. I did say, I did say some. The more economically they say fair. I did say that. I, I think that there is um, – it, it's been really interesting that actually there hasn't been much criticism from the right, if you like, about yeah. this uh, potential intervention into business, in part because actually – Almost every area of industry is now regulated. So why should football not be any different? Mm. Um, and the other thing is, is we're not trying to stop um, business uh, or commercial investment into football. In fact, quite the opposite. Trying to do is make sure that it's responsible and sustainable investment into football. And if you can get that by putting around, you know, certain criteria. Uh, in license conditions for football clubs, then you won't see 
the tragic consequences in certain communities of a football club completely going. Mm. And I think that's really important. And I think politicians, you know, of all parties really realise how important football clubs are within their communities. You know, right from um, uh, the the non-league clubs that, you know, get, I don't know, anywhere from 50 to 500 people going through their gates through to the Premier League clubs. And the important thing about this review is it's not just about Premier League football. Um, It's about the whole pyramid and it's about what we can do, do to ensure that football within its community is protected. And there are lots of different reasons and and ways of doing that. I think protected sometimes from their owners is at the heart of everything that Price of Football tries to do. And it's at the heart of everything football fans talk to us. The one thing all fans want from football, from your review or from football in general, is a proper fit and proper person's test. It's a way of preventing chances, wrong whatever you want to call them, people who don't know their game, who still think that it's a cheap way of making money. That seems to me to be at the heart of everything that football needs to, to do in future, to protect clubs and to make sure that Berry doesn't happen again. Yeah, and in the past, the subjectivity issue has been a real challenge, uh, I think. And, I, you know, Ofcom, I think, have just brought a subjectivity issue in terms of, you know, ownership of media outlets. And so, you know, it is certainly something that we can look at. I think it's very difficult. I mean, bear in mind, I still have to remember I am a politician in a governing party, mm. um, you know, I, but I, I, I think it's very difficult for um you know, rules and, and regulations to be set for an industry and who can be involved in that industry um, when we as government of any colour are still involved with the countries, for example, you know, of, of those potential owners in trade terms. You know? Yes, of course. So, you know, I, I sit there and I think, you know, we, we can't exactly get all high moral ground, or mm. sorry, moral high ground on, you know, China or Saudi Arabia or the UAE or something, when we're still selling, you know, arms to Saudi, we're not intervening on human rights issues in, in China, you know, we sort of kind of, um, you know, we'll still go to Qatar, you know, and things. so you, you can't have one rule for one and not for the other, if that makes sense. It does. And you are going to get a lot of tweets from Newcastle no, United fans. <laughs> Well, I've already got, like, you know, lots of tweets from Newcastle fans. But, you know, for, for me, you know, government isn't the place to be sort of kind of intervene, intervening on, on these issues. Mm. And, you know, because we do still have a trade relationship with Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I, I am a sports minister. Um, the then Prime Minister, Theresa May, um sent me to Saudi Arabia. I didn't want to go. I tried everything not to go, mm. um, including pretending that my passport was out of date. But <laughs> annoyingly, my super efficient private office <laughs> got me another passport. Um, but um, uh, in order to encourage um, the um, the regime's sort of kind of uh, desire to get more women and girls involved in sport. And actually, you know, it was a really interesting trip. And I played football with some girls. Mm. And, you know, I can't imagine doing that 10 years ago. Mm. Um, it was I was deeply uncomfortable with the whole experience. But, you know, I think it was an important thing to do. Um, but I just don't, you know, we just have to be careful sometimes about yeah. being hypocritical about certain things. You, you made that sound like an episode of Yes Minister. I've, lost my, pa- I've lost my passport. <laughs> 
you know, your passport's here, Minister. Don't <laughs> yeah, worry. Yeah, it was a bit like that. Um, <laughs> that's, that's that's really interesting. I mean, because again, women in football is something is we're really that's that's really interesting to hear that you were able to play with with women in South in Saudi Arabia. That's encouraging. Um, Tracy, I'm aware that we have time constraints. There's just one or two more things I'd like to to put to you. One of my favourite, in fact probably my absolute favourite of your recommendation strikes me as also being the, the most optimistic in terms of getting it through, which is this idea that fans should have a veto to be able to prevent a new owner from changing a badge or a kit colour or a, a nickname or a motto. That's How likely would that be to happen, do you think? Yeah, I think, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm optimistic about all of it. So. Good, good, good. <laughs> um, uh, to be honest, but uh, in terms of the protection of heritage assets I think it's really important um, and I think this kind of golden share option is something that um, people really would desire I think also by the way I think it's a really good way of um, shaking up some of the fan supporter groups as well uh, I have a great okay. deal of time and respect for yeah. fan supporter groups but not not everybody is a member of one you know I'm a season ticket holder of Spurs and I'm not a member yeah. of the supporters trust but if all of a sudden you know by being a member you get a vote on something, you get a say on certain issues. If in the event, you know, that issue was to, to come to the fore, then I think it's a really good way of um, democratising um, the supporters trusts or fan groups uh, across the country. So that's, you know, I think there's 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 two different parts to it. Fans get a, a say that protects them uh, and the things that matter to them. Uh but also we have a you know a really healthy um democratic uh, supporters kind of um movement as well mm. well talking of supporters your interim proposals have been very welcomed by the football supporters association the fair game group and to be fair the premier league and efl especially the arguments around a fairer distribution of money but when most of that money tracy is in the hands of four or five privately owned clubs aren't they going to take a lot of persuading that money needs to be distributed more fairly i think it depends on what you're talking which money you're talking about because you know the um i i mean i was really struck again by the 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 consensus between the premier league um not the premier league clubs the clubs the premier league and the EFL about the distribution of funding. Um, I thought that the EFL proposals around better distribution um, would be something that the Premier League were really quite hostile to. Mm. Premier League sort of kind of, and I paraphrase, but the Premier League's approach is pretty much of you do whatever you want with it. Uh, and that was really, in, uh, that was quite interesting because I, I, I'm actually, I, I am quite protective in some respects of the Premier League. Um, the, the, the Premier League is the best league in the world. It is one of our greatest exports in this country. I'm not saying that everything they do, therefore, is right, but I also do, wouldn't want to do anything that damaged the Premier League. And um, and I don't think I've recommended anything that will sort of kind of upset the brand, if you like, even in terms of a regulator, you know, because as I say, I, I think the regulator is a positive thing for football, not for, not a negative thing. Um, and I think it's a positive thing for, for investment in football, not a negative thing. Um, and so um, actually in terms of the distribution, I do think it is something that the Premier League and the EFL can sit down and work out themselves without 
any kind of regulatory intervention. Mm. The one thing I would say is I was slightly disappointed uh, with the continued focus on funding for um, or priority funding for the championship. And there seems to be less concern about the funding challenges that happen further down the pyramid. Mm. Um, And again, Kieran alluded to it. And, and, you know, obviously, if contractual obligations mean bringing him back in, but <laughs> the, the drop between, you know, Championship and League One and Two is, I think, slightly concerning uh, and deserves more than the 12 slash eight part of the formula that they currently get. Mm. Um, uh, uh, that, that said, I've also think that we need to remove barriers at lower league clubs uh, for their own financial sustainability purposes. So, for example, it's ludicrous that Sutton have to rip up their yeah. their three G pitch. You know, Absolutely. because yeah. Yeah. it brings in a phenomenal amount of money uh, for mm. them. Um, Maidstone United, one of my local clubs, and Chatham Town in my constituency, you know, yeah. have artificial pitches. Those pitches are being used seven days a week, which, of course, brings money into the club. Mm. It's absolutely ridiculous that Sutton now has to rip theirs up. So those are the sort of things that I also think that football can do for itself. Well, also, it puts a a newly promoted team like Sutton on the back foot because they have to play their first four games either away or at a different stadium, which which strikes me as unfair. I think I can bring Kieran back. I think I can break my own made-up rule and bring Kieran back in. (laughs) A second time, because Kieran, the championship, right from the very start of this podcast, when when my eyebrows I thought couldn't get any higher, the finances of the championship, as you, which you described as a basket case, was something that came as a shock to most people. But there, as Tracy, there's a lack of sympathy for the championship because most fans outside of it seem to think that the the problems are self imposed in the championship because they once a team gets to the championship they break the bank to try and get into the Premier League when they assume they'll get that money back and it's just not the case is it I mean they don't yeah you know, the, the 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 one or two teams that like Rotherham who do get promoted then get relegated again do the sensible thing but everybody else seems to pile the pressure on themselves financially don't they um, th- there is. I think that ultimately, yeah, we talk about clubs. The focus surely should be on club owners because they are the yeah. people who yeah, set yeah, the yeah, budgets. Um, and there has been talk from some championship club owners of you know, wanting th- them to have a breakaway or to become Premier League Two and then you know, effectively cast Leagues One and Two adrift. So, uh, yeah. The, the Premier League is is not the big bad wolf, um, yeah. and, and neither is the EFL. You know that they are all trying to represent their clubs and, and to get the best out uh, for them. But it, it is it is it is a tricky issue, and uh, you know I, I've got the I've got the figures as everybody knows going back a long long time, um, and, and it's not coronavirus uh, that's uh, that's made the championship precarious. Uh, you know I think it's uh, eight years out of the last nine. Uh, wages have exceeded revenues, and and the one year that it was below, uh, it was ninety nine percent of revenue. So it, it's just it's poor business practice, which is linked to casino style ownership. Mm. Um, just two more things, Tracy. As somebody who works in the entertainment industry, and and occasionally, Tracy, my work veers into culture. <laughs> uh, it distresses me that we don't have our own minister as a sport lover. It distresses me that sport doesn't have its own minister because between them, those industries generate billions of pounds for this country, which which is a sort of lengthy preamble to asking you, how seriously does 
this government, this prime minister take football as an industry? Well, you do have your own minister. Um, Caroline Dynage is the culture minister. Um, Minister, Ministry, then, should we say? Sorry. Oh, right. Well, you did well. DCMS, Department of Culture, Media, and Sport. It has it in the name. (laughs) Yeah, I I know. My 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 point is that I I think culture is big enough. And sport are big enough to have to not. It, it it kind of distresses a lot of us that we're lumped in, if you like, with other industries that aren't similar. Oh well, I'm, I'm afraid know. every department has that issue, and every oh, really? has that issue. Yeah, totally. But the one thing I would say is that I, in my ideal world, um, I would restructure um, DCMS anyway, um, and I would um, make it um, sort of kind of a well-being department because to me, both culture. And sports contribute to well-being. And we have this sort of kind of slightly weird sort of thing where the Department of Health is uh, financed, its budget budget is based entirely on us being a poorly nation. And yet there is no department that is focused on us not being a poorly nation. So if you got rid of the digital and the media bit of, of the Department of Culture, Media and Sport, you could actually have this rather wonderful department where the whole focus is on keeping people well. And I would put culture very much in that, you know, people going off to theatres and galleries and museums and watching a film or whatever is very much about well-being. Um, so that would give you a much better department to sort of mm. kind of champion your cause. I, I noticed you were a very good politician there and you didn't answer the last bit of the question. Oh, so sorry, I'll, no, it's because I'm I'll, too busy thinking about the get, first bit. What was the last bit? I'll, I'll get slightly panoramic. About, about, about whether or not government takes sport seriously. Yeah. Well, for, the football in particular, because we saw, we saw the Prime Minister's comments in and around the European Super League. I'm just interested to know how seriously, as an industry, football is taken by our government. So I don't think it's taken it very seriously in the past. I think actually things like the ESL um, crisis have shown um, that government needs to to take more interest. I mean, I, I, I... and actually other sports ministers, um, to be fair, have spent a long time, you know, banging heads against the Downing Street brick wall, mm. um, trying to make the point that, yes, football is made up of a lot of private enterprise, but its its importance and its value in society is more than that. And I think finally people are beginning to get it. Um, and I think a combination of the various sort of kind of crises that we've seen in football mm. um, uh, plus, actually, how well much of football did respond to COVID and the fact that clubs like Tiny Chatham Town, you know, were doing in their communities during coronavirus. I think that the combination of all those things, people are finally beginning to get it, mm-hmm. that football is actually really important. And it's not just about 90 minutes, uh, you know, at the weekend. It's It's so much more than that. You know, a ministry for well-being, I would happily be part of that. It's a fantastic idea. It would be a difficult sell to my elderly father, who I've been trying to tell him about mindfulness, and he just won't have it. But So mindfulness is in the department. I'm a big advocate Brilliant. for mindfulness. And Brilliant. actually, there's some really interesting things about mindfulness in sport. Um, and if you think about Johnny Wilkinson and the way he used to yeah. take his, his penalty kicks, that's exactly what mindfulness in sport is. That's interesting. Well, I'll try to explain that to my dad, but he thinks football went when goalkeepers started wearing gloves. So, uh, 
sounds like my father-in-law. Yeah, uh, generally, I, I, I remember the moment. It's Peter Benetti wearing the glow. That's it. There's no point. What's the point anymore? Yeah, no, but honestly, uh, I took my father-in-law to a Maidstone United game when he came to visit for Christmas, and he kept on shouting to the uh, to the linesman. Um, or, uh, he kept on saying, foul throw, foul throw. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, his foot was on, wasn't behind the line. I was like, Jerry, that rule went out in like the 80s, mate. You know, it's like, seriously. Um, Tracy, it's been, it has been brilliant to talk to you. As I said, we, we would be here all day if we went into every proposal that you've made initially in detail. But I'm pleased to hear you talk about being optimistic about it. When you make the final report to Oliver Dowden, are you expecting it to be rubber stamped or will it become, does it then become the subject of a debate? What What's the timescale for achieving some of the very brilliant things that you've suggested in your initial report? So that's a good question. And the answer, not that the others Finally. weren't good questions. <laughs> she, quali- <laughs> she qualifies quickly. Um, the, 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 the honest answer is I don't know. Right. Um, so we're in a slightly weird situation, which is that obviously um, I'm a sitting politician yeah. doing an independent review for government. And ordinarily, you know, government would make some sort of kind of statement about it or whatever. And I'm not quite sure yet what the actual parliamentary process will be in terms of, you know, the consideration of the report, you know, I'm hoping it won't take long for them to consider the report. I mean, I'm not doing anything that I don't think that my government couldn't implement, put it that way. You know, I sort of kind of, I'm taking the view that if I were to, at some point in the future, be promoted back into (laughs) sports minister, I would have to implement this, right? So I'm kind of sitting there thinking, I'm not going to do anything nuts um so um the um uh so but in terms of you know if if legislation is required to set up a regulator then clearly it takes you know a year for that to happen right and i don't but there are certain things that can happen without legislation Right. And, and also there's nothing, you know, you can't rule out any election at any time. We've calmed down a little oh, bit. Basically. We've, exactly. st- we've, we've stopped the election every six month process, but there's nothing, there's nothing in this report that an opposition would, would oppose, surely. I mean, I've, I've given up with the Labour Party. You may, you may know that my politics are not quite the same as yours, Tracy, but at the moment it's a depressing thing to be a Labour supporter. But even, even Keir Starmer, you would imagine, wouldn't out of, principle oppose anything in this because I don't think there's any right-minded football fan that wouldn't agree with just about everything that's in this proposal and think that it's necessary that football football needs to change there's no doubt about that that's why we're seeing so many fans setting up so many campaigning groups football needs to change this to Kieran and I in particular most of the things you say seems to be the way to change it and I can't imagine many football fans agreeing so you'd, you'd hope for the love of God that just out of principle nobody else in you know, in opposition would oppose it well I hope so I mean I, I've been working actually cross-party anyway yeah, so I, I I've kept you know colleagues in in the lay party up to speed with you know what we've been doing in terms of the review um I even had a session with them to hear what they wanted to see in the, the in the the interim report so um the good thing about football actually the good thing about sport is it's politically neutral by and large I mean yeah. there are certain issues that come up yes, yeah. um that ignite 
like sort of kind of political differences. Um, but actually, by and large, sport is is a fairly neutral um, issue and, and it works well. It means that I have a good relationship with people like Andy Burnham and Jerry Sutcliffe and Richard Cable and Lord Blunkett, you know, because actually it doesn't matter um it matters it, the political allegiance matters less than your football allegiance so yeah. um you know it, we're more likely to have banter about football than politics yes wouldn't it be nice if the world was like that just in general that we got more obsessed about football than about politics well, unless, been... you're, unless of course you're an arsenal fan <laughs> Oh, yeah, fair point. Well, it's, 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 it's taken as read. Arsenal and Brighton are not included in any of these reasonable debates because they're not capable of making reasoned arguments. It just pains me. I can't. I hate looking at the league table at the moment. It just really distresses me. Oh, I don't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> me too. Um, Tracy, it's been uh, lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much for giving us so much of your time. Um, we wish you all the very best uh, with the progress of the of the report. Uh, as I say, most football fans, 99.9% of them will welcome it and we hope that uh, it gets taken on board and we hope to talk to you in future near the time that happens. So thanks again. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Kieran, I thought Tracy was was brilliant, actually. I'd, I'd kind of wish we did have two hours in which to go into full detail with every proposal in the in the letter. It's clear, though, that you... You were, your evidence was taken very seriously in the fan-led review, Kieran, particularly around parachute payments. Um, yes, I, I, I want parachute payments to go. Um, mm. But the reason why I want parachute payments to go is because that there's no need for them as opposed to just get rid of them. Mm. Um, and uh, I, I, you know, I, the, the evidence that I presented was let's reduce it let's change cliffs to slopes and, and therefore the necessity for them disappears automatically mm. um but i i agree with you that uh that tracy's summary in her letter to oliver dowden was was excellent um i i, I can't understand why the efl are opposed to an independent regulator but i'm, but I'm mm. sure they have their reasons but you know the, the rest of football and, and certainly I, I think football fans have, have have reacted to this positively um because it is non-party political because it is our national game, and I think some things transcend party politics. And, and uh, you know, fair play to Tracy and also everybody else that was involved uh, on, on the uh, on, on the fan-led review. I know many clubs had contributions and put huge amounts of work into it, um, and, and I think that's all due to our affection and love for the game. Yeah, you realise you've just congratulated yourself there, Kieran, didn't you? <laughs> no. when, when, uh, I, I know what you're saying. When, you know, congratulations to everybody who took part. You know, uh, implying that those of us who weren't invited to take part or weren't available on the day, possibly I was invited. I haven't checked my emails. Um, you're, <laughs> you're right about the party political aspect, though. Although it's good to hear a Tory MP so in favour of strong trade unions, and she had some quite stern words for the the PFA or the previous PFA. There had mm. some quite stern words. Uh, about previous governments and their attitude to football, didn't she? Yes, yes. Uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, Tr- Tracy's on the side of the Angels. She, mm. She's a she's a football fan first, and uh, she understands the importance of the game to us as fans, but also the the amazing work that that clubs and people connected to clubs do for the broader community, which is 
you know, part the part I suspect the only reason why this 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 podcast is still going is because we still have this romantic notion that that football can be a force for good, and we try to highlight the good and expose the bad. Mm. Uh, she's a Tottenham fan, and and MPs are meant to be. They're meant to be cleverer than us, Kieran. They're meant to be more mature than us, which doesn't take a lot of doing. So it's probably for the best that we'd stopped recording before, before she started singing Let's All Laugh at Arsenal, which, was, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, endeared her even further into every football fan's mind, I think. Um, if you'd like to make a small contribution to our always free-to-air podcast, then thank you, and please go to patreon.com forward slash price of football. If you have any questions for us uh, for our regular Monday questions pod, then please email questions at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, uh, now he's recovered from his walking football exertions and can breathe properly, <laughs> I shall hand you over to Mr. McKeera Maguire for his customary farewell. Thank you uh, for all the feedback, folks. Uh, it, it is appreciated. We, uh, we we do try to improve the show, um, although we're not quite sure why you like it in the first place. Um, <laughs> That's just <laughs> But uh, if, 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 you, uh, you know, if, if you want to support us on Patreon, that, that's fantastic. But you can also support us by, by clicking on that follow button on, uh, on Apple Podcasts um, and, and giving us five stars and, and just saying something. It doesn't have to be nice. It doesn't have to be naughty. Um, uh, but uh, I, I, I do read the reviews and, and I find myself chuckling at most of them. Um, uh, there are some really smart listeners out there, far smarter than myself and Kevin. But, uh, but God bless you all and th- thank you for all the support. Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football. I'm for the